Be Real is presented by California College of the Arts MFA in Writing Program. Getting an MFA at their art school setting in San Francisco means you can paint and write, design and write, and make a film and write. You can also just write. Look for their faculty member Leslie Carroll Roberts' critically acclaimed Here is Where I Walk, Episodes from a Life in the Forest, out now from University of Nevada Press, and Adam Nemetz, We Can Save Us All, from Unnamed Press. For more information, power on your computer and visit cca.edu slash writingmfa. You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life I'm 28 and he's 30. Do you know where our mothers are? Welcome one and all to Be Real. It is a movie reviewing and reappraising genre hopping podcast on the Playlist Podcast Network. My name's Chance Solem Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. We are buddies who talk about movies three at a time around very similar genres. And we're very thrilled to be on the Playlist Podcast Network with other shows like The Discourse, The Fourth Wall, Indie Beat. Uh, you should listen to them and get all of our shows on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you may get your podcasts. Uh, we're also very happy to be brought to you by California College of the Arts Writing MFA program. Um, but yeah, what are our three movies this time, Noah? You want to tell the peeps? Well, today's category is Where'd You Go, Mom? Uh, there you so go. We used the recent Where'd You Go, Bernadette with Kate Blanchett. Um, second Act, which is recently streaming uh, with Jennifer Lopez. And 2015's Ricky and the Flash with one Meryl Streep. All movies about... And I see, I even hesitate. I feel like there's... We're going to talk about this. I like have a block in my mind where I want to call these women moms but i think the point of all these movies is they've all really put family second in favor of something else like identifying them first as moms is probably a disservice to the theme of the movie even though the movies are all pretty goofy the movies are all pretty goofy and they're all sort of interested in that question too of like why is the dad allowed to chase his career and still be a good dad while the mom like can't really chase a career if she wants to be considered a good mom quote unquote without being cast out of the family basically right and i mean one of these movies like directly interrogates that exact question albeit Mm -hmm. in like sort of a drunken stage rant Uh, sure hey what better what better way um do we want to start with this idea of like so you and i we like to we like to get a more classic or at least older starter for these categories as we kind of like watch them move through time. But frankly, and you know, tweeted us be real pod. If, uh, if you've got ideas, we couldn't really come up with anything before, uh, this decade. Well, if you like take it from the vantage of like, say Kevin Klein or something in, uh, Ricky and the flash, then you have like Mr. Mom on your hands. Like that's the only sort of, uh, morality tale about like the perils of women going to work before these i think Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but yeah it's a strange set of movies maybe there's something from the 80s who knows i bet well there's there's i think there's plenty of movies about like 
women who have children trying to get into like male dominated corporate spaces and like that's having trouble raising their kid, but not like this sort of like all out rejection of like the role of motherhood or, or I was very young and rightfully rejected that role. And now I'm uh middle-aged and, and dealing with it. I guess right. it shouldn't, maybe shouldn't surprise us that the nineties were not like chock full of these movies. Okay, do we want to open with uh, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Yeah, that's the new one, right? Yeah, welcome to the uh, the dregs of August, folks. Um, this movie, though, what what were your expectations going into this movie? For those of you who don't know, of course, you work in publishing, and this was a huge book. It is a huge Wasn't book, it? yeah. I reckon I, it's one of those ones where I just... You know, you catch the title at the Hudson, or you catch the cover at the Hudson News out of the corner. Oh, of your sure, eye, yeah, yeah. It was around for about. a really long time, um, yeah. and it, this movie's been in development forever too, because it's, you know, sort of an interesting family story uh, hitting that, yeah, like late August family drama. For I don't know who's the audience for this movie. Well, the 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 sorry thing is that there is not one. It made like three point four million dollars this weekend, coming yeah. in eleventh place at a pretty uh, empty box office. Yeah, Ooh, the boy. one about the little kids and watching porn or whatever really cleaned up. <laughs> neither of us have neither of us have seen Good Boys. I don't know if that's what happens in that movie. Um, have you read the Maria Semple book though? I have not. Have you? Okay, no, I haven't. I was just curious. I was reading a bit about it today. Yes, I was as well seems like this movie was uh, restructured in some pretty crucial ways that may have... In ways that don't make a lot of filmic sense. Yes, right. So my, But my impression going in, though, I mean, this is a movie... And it's not getting great reviews either. Like, I love, you know, a heartwarming family drama, you know. And, and if it's got to come out in August, it's got to come out in August for me to see it. And Richard Linklater, good... Uh, pedigree there Love director him. of boyhood and all the before and after movies or whatever of course but like when you start looking at the details of this movie a it's not been around that much like i haven't really seen the advertisement for it other than the trailer release date got pushed twice too i think yeah and then this movie's pg-13 so what does that mean there's no cursing Who's it for? If you saw the first trailer, it was just a bunch of people being like, from the director of Boyhood, and then like everyone going like, Bernadette, are you there? Bernadette, where'd you go? Bernadette. And yeah, like, people saying not, things that are approximately the title. This is not uh, how you get people to lock into the concept of a movie, uh, like something like Second Act, for instance. Right. Well, I think they, it seems that they've cut out a lot of the interesting stuff of the underlying story. But so anyway... The novel, from what we know, is told from the perspective of the daughter. While she's in prep school. Yeah. Emails, journal entries. It's a, it's a like modern epistolary, basically. Yeah. About, like, where is my mom? Right. She's sort of keeping this journal of, like, where is her mom, including these found documents um, and things. And this movie, like, doesn't start there at all. It almost feels like a prequel compared to that. You have the daughter played by Emma Nelson deciding whether she wants to go to boarding school and being like, for before that, let's you, me, and dad, uh, the the mom being Kate Blanchett, the dad being Billy Crudup, uh, let's all go to Antarctica. 
Um, and you kind of find out that like it's really just a movie that very kind of slowly and hazily develops a psychological profile of Bernadette from a few different people's perspectives, including ours, just watching her. And then it takes a long time for her to quote unquote go. Um, and then it's like not really a mystery. Morning, Rosie. Hey, mom. Do you guys remember when you told me if I got perfect grades all the way through middle school, I could have anything I wanted? I think it was to ward off any further talk of a pony. Want to know what it is? I don't know. Do we? A family trip to Antarctica. Ponies are cute and maybe not as much trouble as we thought. I was taken by her beauty and talent. I'm accompanying the first graders. That's a big deal, Bea. Can I come? No, you wouldn't like it. The words are way too cute. You might die of cuteness. Yeah, well, I want to die of cuteness. It's my favorite thing to die of cuteness. Something unexpected has come up. There's much more explanation coming, but I have this one shot. Just thinking about it's got my heart racing. Bernadette. You texted me very wisely when we were talking about Second Act. Like, all these movies are trying so hard, like, just to be movies. Right. And this is, like, a really... This is a movie that they want just, like, everyday folks to go see because it has some, like, pretty polite feminism in it. But it's it's weird. It's one of the weirdest, like, otherwise normal <laughs> movies I've seen in a while. It's kind of like... It's, it's a little bit like Mosquito Coast in that way. Oh, I definitely think it has a lot to do with Mosquito Coast. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. So Bernadette is this woman of a certain age living in Seattle where it always rains and she hates it in this old like converted girls school that yeah. she bought. Um, and it's not explained why. expensive, but totally decrepit. Right. Yeah. It's filled with like beautiful, expensive things and Amazon boxes everywhere. But like the house itself is going to fall down at any second. Right. And she's married to Billy Crudup. Um, and she has this, yeah, precocious daughter. And they're in an otherwise like well manicured neighborhood. And then you slowly see like her suburban alienation. But then it's not till like a third into the movie that it's explained. The Kate Blanchett's Bernadette is, in fact, like a uh, MacArthur genius architect who, after like a professional setback, which turns out to be not that like serious of a thing if you think about her career, uh, she like goes into hiding for 20 years, marries this boring Microsoft guy, and moves to Seattle to do whatever and ends up like, yeah, holing up in this house and I'm afraid to leave. Um, and, and raising th- like a super intellectual daughter who's pretty independent and then they have she gets caught up in like a sort of ill-conceived international conspiracy shall we say <laughs> spoilers for where'd you go Bernadette by the way and that precipitates the last straw of a like efforts to sit her down and give her an intervention which yields her going out the bathroom window and she's gone. But this is like well into the movie. I'm sitting at the Alamo draft house and as she goes out the window, they put our checks down for us to pay. So it's like, what's happening now? This movie's almost over and she's just disappearing. She's just, where'd you go now? There are a lot of themes that could be picked out of a movie 
that's kind of just like shuffling them around the table like a kid mixing up cards. Um, I think the best one, the one that I actually thought was backed up by good acting from Billy Crudup and actually made Kate Blanchett's kind of weird acting in this movie a little better is when he's talking to the therapist, uh, Judy Greer comes to see him at some point. Um, and it gets at this idea of like this person that you fell in love with who you knew had these kind of like weird quirks that you didn't understand. And slowly over time, like the quirks just began to consume the person. And you were like, wait, I thought that was only on the margins, but then you're like just trying to talk, you're 45 and you're just trying to talk to the quirks. Uh, and it's like a really kind of alienating place to be. I thought that was pretty good, but I think it's also telling that why am I talking about a Billy Crudup scene? Why am I not talking about a Bernadette scene? Right. And then like the, the daughter stuff is like weirdly like, is in too much of this movie and not enough i would would say because like the movie sort of hinges on not only that marriage plot playing out but like this young girl's relationship with her mother as she comes of age and decides whether she can be independent now or like really needs her mommy yeah Uh, and i don't know that was kind of an odd and then this movie tries to pull out and be and have that Kristen Wig and the her friend who then ends up being Billy Crudup's assistant. And then Weird. for some reason there is a scene in the middle of this movie where Kate <laughs> uh, Blanchett is eating a tuna sandwich with Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, her former like USC architecture professor. And that's the, that's actually cross cut with the the Crudup therapy scene. Mm-hmm. Which, again, was like a moment of like, oh, this is what it looks like when two, you know, together but separate people try to share their stories. And one person's like, I think she might be nuts. And the other person is like going off on like how Seattle has ruined her life. And there's some, it's one of the only spots in the movie, honestly, I think, where Linklater like is able to make some real memorable choices as a director is in the cross cutting between those things. This is, I had this down in our doc. I'm curious what you think of it. Um, what's the weirdest or like illest fitting Linklater movie? Cause this is ju- in retrospect is a weird one for him. Oh God. Well, you know what? And this is a, a little fact, uh, Holly Jett and Vincent Palma who adapted the script with Linklater only have one other credit to their names and it's uh, me and Orson Welles which was another basically forgotten, bizarre Linklater movie. Um, oh, interesting. So that's sort of indicated that we were always going to be in weird, lesser Richard land. Have you seen Fast Food Nation? No. That's a terrible movie, too. It, it's funny because, like, he's so good or, like, awful. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's no middle... I mean, sometimes he makes sort of mediocre, like, fun movies. But I think Everybody Wants Some, for example, is a masterpiece. Really good. But he's clearly in dazed and confused mode in that movie. Sure. Um, And then Boyhood's great. All the before and after movies. Incredible. School of Rock, I think, is one of the greatest PG-13 movies ever made. Is that the only one where he's, like, a hired hand? Where he's actually, like, really good? I think that's one of the rare ones where there's a really good, uh, what's his name? Mike White script. Yep. 
the other thing that makes this kind of an ill-fitting ill-fitting Linklater movie, and this is this goes to one of my kind of odd issues with the movie, is he doesn't really make movies about rich people. And they are super, super, super fucking rich in this movie. But that's weirdly, like, unacknowledged. I mean, you can be in that house with them, and you can see the way she behaves and never goes outside and gets, like, Amazon stuff sent to her all day, and you're like, yeah, this is clearly the life of a rich person. Oh, but yeah, I mean, he doesn't... See... He's no, like, Jean-Marc Valet, like, doing Big Little Lies or something where it's, it's pornography of the rich. This no. is pretty, like... I think maybe rich people just buy shiny bathtubs and like put them in the middle of their otherwise totally unfinished bathroom and, and fall asleep in boutique pharmacies. Yeah, that's something the, the rich do because there's just a can. fainting couch in and a uh, Chihuly glass sculpture. I don't know what's going on in Seattle, man. Um, you want to talk about Kate? You thought Kate was kind of weird in this. I think she's kind of weird in this i think if you think about her iconic characters galadriel katherine hepburn queen elizabeth you think she's is she a little too katherine hepburn in this one? Oh, carol's great carol's amazing but none of those are uh contemporary american woman and so she gets in that kind of like kate blanchett thing where um you know they're saying what are the qualifications to go to Antarctica to Bernadette who desperately wants to go to the South Pole to reinvigorate her architecture dreams. And they're like, well, you, you can't talk to anyone and you never get to shower. And she's like, Oh, it sounds like I've uh, been training for this for the last 20 years. It's like, I'm, wh- where are you from? What are you doing? Well, well it's she- almost kind of like Kate Blanchett herself is trying to break out of this otherwise boring movie, like into something more interesting, worthy of her, sort of Catherine Hepburn, Carol Flair. And right. it's not until the last 20 minutes where she gets to do that, but that's wholly detached from every other character that we've known leading up to this moment. There's also just like ways that she talks. Like I wrote some lines down where she talks about, um, as you know, my phone took a dive off the Tallahatchie Bridge, which is a reference to the Bobby Gentry song from the 60s. But she's just like dropping that in conversation. Chance, like, you're such a rotter. What does that mean? That's what she keeps calling people every time she runs into someone. She's like, oh, you're such a rotter. Oh. Like, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. It's very hard to deliver dialogue that specific that's also that eccentric while not pinning down what kind of eccentricities she actually has. I get it. She's a genius and is supposed to be weird. But through through the eyes of whom you know right and then the i mean the movie's so poorly cut together that it becomes totally ridiculous that in one scene she's like hey guys i'm a reclusive genius just trying to hang out can i work on your south pole stuff and they're like no and she's like please and they're like fine we found a spot for you <laughs> right and let me follow up with you once you've learned how to fix a diesel engine cut to her being like i fixed this diesel engine with this guy who doesn't have any lines right it's so odd and then it's so weird to me that the publicity push for this movie included uh troyan belisario who's from pretty little liars who was in a kayak and has two lines and is in 45 seconds of this movie the tonality of this movie is just so weird it kind of reminded me of like downsizing like, you're watching it, and you're like, what kind of movie is this? Like, I know you don't, like, have to have to pick, but you kind of have to a little bit pick movie. Like, is this supposed to be funny? 
Is it supposed to be touching? Is one thing supposed to undercut the other? Um, is this supposed to be a spoof of the super rich in some ways? Because sometimes we're making fun of the vegan PTA moms who get their house washed away by a mudslide. But then sometimes it's like, oh, there's moms. Um, is Billy Crudup a genius or is he like a wet blanket? Like, makes He has the ability choices. to write an email after he puts a Band-Aid on his head. And who would not want that? That's coming. Yeah. No, this movie doesn't really know what it wants to be, I think, in the first hour and change. And then it's like, well, we'll be Walter Mitty. Yes. Fuck yes. I absolutely thought about Secret Life of Walter Mitty while watching this movie. Um, maybe it's just because of the sort of uh, uh, snow-capped tundras. <laughs> but Oh, you know, uh, savoring that before climate change uh, kills all those penguins. Missing that, uh, missing that kick-ass Junip score though. The score to Walter Mitty is good. Okay, guy. <laughs> this movie was pretty sort of befuddling. Yes, but at the same time, I would say pretty watchable. If I don't understand that character, like what people think of that character, like what is this movie, and why would I watch it again? You know. Yeah, I I would watch like a, the four hour cut of this where like they have, you know, the six weeks or something that she's not there for that it's not just ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure Linklater's like final cut, a la Apocalypse Now, is coming in in like two decades. Sure, in forty years, right? He'll be hobbling into some like movie theater and this <laughs> is the master cut. You want to explain the rating system and then rate this movie? Absolutely. So the first. We come up with two words here, good or bad, good or bad. Yeah. First good or bad is, was this movie well made? Was the script decent? Was it well directed? Uh, and the second good or bad is, did I enjoy this? If it was on TV or on HBO, would I pop it on again in a few months? Like, is this a movie I'd come back to and feel good about? Uh, examples of good, good, Jaws, oh, yeah. bad, good. Any number of Kurt Russell movies, including, but not limited to, Escape from either New York or Los Angeles. Uh-huh. Uh, good, bad, Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, Bad, Bad, um, I hate to say it, uh, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? I think so, too. Um, I think the only thing that confuses my rating is that there's so much in this movie that I'm like, wait, is that is that, a, is that like something I'm missing? Is there is there an actual theme here about like the way that wives and husbands relate or mothers and daughters relate that I'm like just not getting or is it just one of several ideas that is kind of like you know where's Waldoing up in this movie just like Bernadette herself it's just like for a minute like we peek up and like oh that's seemed like it might be a keen insight about their marriage but then it's like gone in an instant I thought um, the most telling voiceover in this movie is towards the end where they're like all sitting on that fucking Antarctica rock or whatever. And the little girl's just like, people used to think that penguins made it for life, just like moms and dads. (laughs) But actually, they don't. Very those Those are very clearly a holdover from the novel, and they do not work. Um, No. That happens like five times. It's not this little girl's story. She's not the protagonist of this movie. Right. It's Kate Blanchett. So when you pull away from her, it's like her and Billy Crudup, uh, the daughter and father, sitting on this rock being like, just talking about events that like they probably lived through and remember quite clearly. Yeah. 
Let's go to Ricky and the Flash. Ricky and the Flash. The final um, film by late grade Jonathan DeMay. Final dramatic film to be a nitpicker. He did the Justin T- Timberlake and the Tennessee Kids afterward. Um, what, what is that? It's a concert film. But I feel like when we're talking about Jonathan DeMay, his concert films are worth are worth mentioning, you know? One could argue that this is also a concert film, except it's hey Meryl Streep and Rick Springfield. <laughs> Um, how much would you pay to see Ricky and the Flash perform in a small dive bar? They're pretty and I, decent. And, I, and I'm with you. They're pretty decent. And that's like what's kind of annoying about this movie is they're like, the music's pretty good. But like, <laughs> why are we watching the full three minutes of them playing a song when you could just have them play the chorus of the song and then cut to the next scene? Okay. Okay. You're too afraid to answer the question. I say $40 to see them with you. I'd pay $40 to see Rick Springfield and Meryl Streep as Ricky and the Flash. But I don't want to pay full price for drinks at this show. I would like Ben Platt to, you know, like kind of a buy one, get one situation. Oh, Ben Platt. What a weird, I might as well get this out now. Um, isn't it super, super weird that Tony Award-winning musical theater performers Audrey McDonald and Ben Platt are both in this movie and they don't ever perform? It is pretty funny because you think they're like gonna perform at some point. Like there's gonna and as this whole thing leads up to this wedding, yeah, they you think they're the all gonna. Them, they have enough Tonys to break a bookcase, and instead they <laughs> ten bar and have a very dramatic argument scene. That's funny. So Ricky and the Flash, um, Ricky, Meryl Streep, who also goes by Linda. Right. That's her uh, her government name. That's her, her government name. Yeah. Her Christian name. Sure. Um, but she's this musician who gave up on this family that she had with Kevin Klein and went off to be a rock and roll singer. And From Indiana to L.A didn't make it didn't seem to notice and then like didn't come back until kevin klein calls her and it's just like hey your daughter's getting divorced and she's like suicidal or not even suicidal like just real real sad you should come back to indianapolis and help like a I've been trying to call you. It's Julie, our daughter. Max left her. What? You brought your guitar? Yeah, just the one. Whoa, Mom, you're here. Like the 80s all over again. Hope Maureen doesn't mind that I'm here. Oh, hi. We are really concerned about Julie. What happened? Max came home and told me that he was in love with a girl named Nicole. She's going to be all right. She's always been a fighter. Well, she's had to be. Here she comes. Gosh, I have all my kids in one room. Mom. Uh-oh. Why aren't you wearing your engagement ring? You two are engaged? Who wants some appetizers? We're practically eloping, Mom. Why don't you be honest, Josh, and just tell Mom that you don't want her at the wedding? Someone order a mudslide? Yeah, keep them coming. And so then... Rick Springfield and Meryl Streep play music for 10 minutes. 
And then she, yeah, she ends up in Indianapolis where she's not welcome, really. Yeah. And it turns out the situation is more dire in every sense than she thought. Yep. And then she sort of unceremoniously leaves. This is a Diablo Cody script. Diablo Cody. Oh, and it feels like it. Very interested in ideas of motherhood, as we know from Juno and Tully and. Right. Whatnot. It's the young adult of. Uh, there are shades of young adult stuff in here where somebody it, comes home and like you see what. It's you young know, adult, whole- except she's not holding it together career-wise, and she's no longer the beautiful woman she clearly must have been 30 years earlier. Yeah, but I'd much rather hang out with Ricky than the than Charlie. Oh, Charlie Theron's character is a nightmare Horrifying. sociopath. Right. Yeah, Meryl Streep doesn't attempt to like break up any marriages, really. She makes one stab at it. I'd say the marriage wanted to thought about breaking itself up for a second there we'll talk about that um okay so i always get this movie confused with rock of ages because it just looked like people from the 80s dressed like they were in the 80s embarrassing themselves but this is nothing like rock of ages whatsoever it does however evince a certain quality of late stage meryl which is that she really likes to sing in movies doesn't she (laughs) she has a great time you know what movie this also is the it's meryl streep's uh this must be the place where the, that Sean Penn movie where he like dons all the weird 80s oh google oh. it right now it is hilarious I really like her singing in this movie I like the she's performing great. I think she's really much more so than Mamma Mia where it's kind of like uh, just hey do musical theater she is really good at like act singing in this movie like her version of like I'm just gonna do Bruce and the wedding at the end is really very fucking good. Um, I don't know how she like is able to growl like that um, and coo when she plays that Cold One song with kind of the open guitar chords. In the oh, book. written by Jenny Lewis and Jonathan Rice. Uh huh. She oh, really, it's, it's good. That's so good. It's, it's really good. She's, she's excellent in this movie. Um, in the in the singing moments. Um, and I think does a lot with like the little the script gives her. This is also a movie that like weirdly looks away from the questions you want to know most about the character, right? Which is like, why did she left? What did she, or I mean, you know why she left because she wanted to pursue a music career, but that's just the one sentence on IMDb. What did she believe about her work? What did she believe about the music industry? What did she believe about life that made her like want to get out of here? You never get that speech. You never get that... um, well, what about, like, she hasn't been gone 10 years. She's been gone, like, th- like 25, 30 years. Yes. And allegedly, like, Kevin Klein and Audrey McDonald have kept her away from the kids. It's unclear to me, like, how much of that was self-imposed and how much right. of it was instructed by them. But it's so odd to me, just the the notion, and I, I, allegedly this movie is based on Diablo Cuddy's mother-in-law. That's right. Like, thought she could make it. But the idea that, like, nobody, it never dawned on this woman that it didn't happen until you realize that it did. And then it's like, well, why do you still live this way? Mm -hmm. But I guess it's sort of, she is sort of like your Bernadette minus the MacArthur. You know, what's the difference between the two of them other than if you Google her, you're not going to see 
hugely influential musician, you're just going to see, oh, here's a Facebook group that my own daughter didn't even join. Right. (laughs) Um, I think some of the interactions in the movie imply that Ricky is kind of a good hang. Like the Rick Springfield character is really into her for reasons that she herself like doesn't want to admit that like she could be loved. Um, the Ben Platt character, the bartender at the bar where she always performs in Tarzana seems to really like her. The, you know, the weird townies who come to this show every Tuesday night from seven to nine or whatever, uh, like mostly for the Buffalo wings. Um, don't, they all seem to like really kind of revere her. And it seems like, and this may be charitable, that when she goes back, the part, whatever little healing she has to lend to her family does come from the fact that she's like, I actually am like a decent hang. Do you want to go to the spa? Do you want to get high together? Um, And there's some real charm to that, I think. Yes. It's definitely an interesting juxtaposition to see her smoke pot with like Kevin Klein in kind of a creepy way in this one, as opposed to the super innocent her with uh, Steve Martin in uh, It's Complicated. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. As we get to know her more and more, it becomes clear that she's just like a punk and like she's not very good at her like minimum wage job and she like can't really like put a real life together and uh, she's also like kind of a bigot. The Okay, so hold on real quick though. I want to say that like it it's okay that the movie is like about like a professional failure of a person. I'm into movies. I'm into oh, movies sure. like that. And I like the idea of like... Mississippi grind is... all day, buddy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's Matsu Pichu time. The... I like the idea that like her greatest gift in life is entertaining 24 drunk people and she can fly in and maybe kind of help get her wreck of a family back on the right track. But that's about all she can do. Let's get to the politics for a second because, God, the Obama era was so much different. It was. This movie has aged very strangely. This yes. is back okay. when we were still treating people on the right like humans. Right. Maybe we shouldn't have. No. It's in the first two minutes of the movie where she's, she's just like. Yeah. That black president we have is pretty questionable, right? <laughs> Sorry, black piano player. It's essentially what is said. Yes. Um the, 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 what the things with the, the Diablo Cody does with politics in general or this movie in some ways are kind I again find kind of like light and charming like there's an interaction at the wedding at the end or she talks to her oldest son's um, Asian American boyfriend and asks him if he likes Bruce Lee and then the boyfriend gets mad oh this is after treating them nicely as gay men yeah um, just her son gets mad the boyfriend like lets the whole thing roll off him there's that moment where then the boyfriend's like you're not even chinese and then rick springfield's like well bruce lee wasn't chinese he was american and there's kind of like this i think that scene is supposed to be instructive to us about like the people are just like putting on these little political things and like they could just come together about it you know but like that's so 2015 and so not 2019 yeah this movie did not see the 2016 presidential election coming and you kind of like hate it for that I kind of do, yeah. That that don't tread on me tattoo on her back. Oh my god! When like, I first saw the American flag, I howled. She's this huge, this like foot long uh, American flag tattooed with the "Don't Tread on Me" snake in the middle. Yeah, 
and like across the broad of her back. Chance, if you and I were like making a motion picture and we realized that one of the characters in our movie has this like real deep affinity for the US military and we had yeah. to come up with something quickly, I'd be like, what if she had a picture of like her dead brother or something who died in Vietnam and she like just lights a candle for him? Like what I feel like that would be the the easiest, cheapest way to avoid actually developing this character's political sensibilities in an authentic way. Do you agree? Uh-huh. Great. And that's what happens in the movie, yes. What I'm saying is that happens in this movie and we are not the creative minds of Jonathan Demme. You know, you think he could have done better? Like, what's the point of this movie, Chance, where it's about all these weirdo, unsympathetic characters, but then it's not really. It's really just a long, weird music video of one Jenny Lewis song and like all the others, all these other like 70s and 80s rock standards. Um... I, don't, I think I like this movie more than you. I think there are some moments where Jonathan Demi takes like, like really like average family drama material and finds ways to be like pretty nuanced about it. Like, well, which, one of my, what are one of these ways? When they're getting high in the kitchen and Kevin Klein, like kind of like, they're, it's like they're gonna kiss, and then he just like kind of like falls into her lap as though we're like an indication of like what I really would have liked from you over these years is if we could have just like supported each other, mm-hmm. like non-romantically all implied in just a little nudge of the head. And then she goes, you trying to tell me something or you just, did you just want to touch me? And then I love the moment on stage where she finds out that, uh, that uh, Rick Springfield sold the guitar to pay for the trip. And nobody ever says I sold the guitar to pay for the trip. You just know. And those are moments where I feel like Cody and Demi are collaborating to be like, let's trust the audience a little bit on this. Um, I don't know if trusting the audience helped them though. I think this movie hit a weird valley where it was too cheesy for critics and a little too weird for audiences. Yeah. Um, but I kind of like it. I don't know, man. It's trying like so hard, like I said earlier, to be a movie that it like kind of grinds. Like she goes on this trip, she like makes some changes, she comes back, there's more music, and then it's like we got to go back again for this wedding. The wedding feels so tacked on. It's like Jonathan Demi wanted to do like a weird music video thing. And he's like, well, people liked my film Rachel at the wedding. So I'm just going to attack like a weird wedding thing onto what I just want to be Rick Springfield and Meryl Streep playing music. <laughs> Cause I think there may be an interesting movie in like the relationship of these two people only through stage time. Maybe. Like, if there was only them, it'd be more like, I mean, what, you know, Bradley Cooper tries with uh, Star is Born. It's only sure. them close up. Um, but this one, yeah, it tries to have its second act, no pun intended, with this wedding movie that's just, like, fine. Here are, like, the weird cues that one has to take in 2015 when one lives in a diverse family. But ultimately, mm-hmm. like good old fashioned American parenthetically white rock and roll will bring us all together when we have nothing to talk about. Hey man, great song choice. It's a very good song choice. Oh yeah. I was very worried that she was like going to get up there and like play an original about like, I left home. I was worried she was going to sing the script. And instead they were like, Nope, here's a Bruce song. She was going to sing one of one of Billy Crudup's speeches from where'd you go Bernadette? 
Right, exactly. When I first met my husband, actually, let's start with my youth. Um, <laughs> Good stuff. Again, the character of Ricky is weirdly unexplored in a movie called Ricky and the Flash and that we've chosen for this category. Um, I mean, you only see her apartment, for God's sake, like an hour 15 into this movie. You never yeah. really know what her life is like. I mean, you know that she's like declaring bankruptcy and you know that she works at a weird, uh, not that weird, grocery store where like be nice to the customers is one of the rules. Ugh, I roll. Yeah. But why is she declaring? Yeah, but why is she declaring bankruptcy, right? Like, if she's just like been grinding it out at a store for 40 years, like, why would you declare bankruptcy? Like, there's some, it just seems like there's a lot, a lot, a lot of story here that we never get. Yeah. Like, what happened between when she put this album out 20 years ago and the next 10 years? Okay, 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 okay. I wanted to come in and say that this was a good, good movie. You I will... wanted to come and say this was a good, good movie? I did. Why? I did. You've yet to make uh, a point about it that I haven't been able to destroy. That's Is that what you've been doing, destroying my you've points? You've been throwing them out and I've been destroying them. Okay, interesting notion of how the podcast works. But I will say that it is a bad, good, and and underrated like I don't think that this this is not a bad movie. I think it's a really like interesting, goofy, flawed movie. It's no Danny Collins. If anything, I wish Danny <laughs> Collins's like musical numbers were as long as this one. I think you've got rose-colored cocaine goggles about how good Danny Collins was. <laughs> Danny Collins has a lot of shit, a lot of drama in Danny Collins. I would watch Another Danny fucking Collins Fogelman again. Movie. And you wouldn't watch this again? What are, you, are you about to give this a bad, bad? I am indeed going to give this a bad, That's bad. stupid. I Come think, on. Why does he call her? I don't know why this movie happens. I don't know how this character became a thing. It all feels very like Diablo Cody, like people are set in their ways and they don't change at all. Like even if they're like, they can't make the rent, they just like keep going to the grocery store. Gotta go home. There's a wedding too. This is just the River Wild with electric guitars. Come on, give it a bad go. The River Wild. I can't handle this big river, man. (laughs) This big water, man. I. You can't row it? I can't row this big water, man. Bad, bad. Oh my god, that's dumb. You dumb. Take it back. Let me see if I had anything else about you being dumb. Yes. I no no I don't think I shall. <laughs> I think your in- intellect is quite so par. What about who else was running for Rick Springfield's part? Yes, come on. That was in the doc. I'm so glad you remembered. Um, Rick Springfield is like, he's not bad in this movie, but his face is very bad in this movie. He's definitely attended the Peter Gallagher school of face acting because he like really only has that sort of like Sandy Cohen kind of like, if I move my eyebrows and beard around a little, I'll I'll, I'll be able to convince you anything. Kids aren't supposed to love their parents. That's your job. Sandy Cohen never had a beard. I know you're right. That's a good line. Um, Yeah, I don't know why you went Peter Gallagher though. The the main thing about Rick Springfield is that he has... uh, bizarre smoothness from eyelid to cheekbone um and when he cries while playing pink on stage um i cried because it was hysterical 
who else could you put up for a role like this? Like, was Eddie Money not available? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking they definitely called John Bon Jovi. Oh, um, yeah. I think Bon Jovi would be out of their price range. I think that's exactly right. I think they also weirdly like needed someone who could play a guitar. Um, yeah. But I was like, can we get weirder with this? Could we have gotten like Kenny Rogers? <laughs> that's funny. You don't think we got yeah. Bono to do it? The Edge? He just doesn't what speak through the whole movie? <laughs> <laughs> she just like insults him openly and he keeps putting like sadder and sadder delay effects on. Yeah, that's how he communicates. He's weeping through the whole thing. Oh my god! I'm, I'm kidding. The, the edge would never show emotion about anything. No. Who else did you? F- Tom Cruise in Rock of Ages. Stacy Jacks. <laughs> Stacy Jacks. <laughs> oh man. All right. So second act came out last year. It is, and I want to talk about this. The latest in a really interesting, impressive string of Jennifer Lopez just like headlining $40 million movies for 20 years. Um, Cause I was thinking about this, like this movie made $40 million. You know who, what actor can get $40 million worth of Americans like into a theater to watch like a ridiculous, a ridiculous, like light adult drama. Like nobody. No, but JLo can JLo did. She's really like sort of having a renaissance. Her and Alex Rodriguez Don't have sort of <laughs> have sort of latched onto each other, and they're they're using their meteoric rises in this the second act of their careers. Oh my god! To no, but I think she's she feels. What was like, the over under of seconds before you tried to say that Alex Rodriguez caused this movie to be successful? I think this movie does predate Alex Rodriguez okay. and their romantic involvement. But no, I think she's a very relatable person, and she does fulfill for a lot of people that American dream of growing up poor in the Bronx and right. then becoming a billionaire or whatever she is. And so I think you can put her into these roles of overcoming or coming into oneself. I mean, I think her probably most famous movie is like Made in Manhattan. And that's like right. a classic rags to riches, like early 2000s movie. J-Lo Ray Fiennes rom-com. Jesus. Weird. You know, I, of course. Oh, and Out of Sight, too, where she plays this sort of like um, blue collar police officer. Right. So I think she's great in that movie. She's great in that movie. So I think, you know, if the uh, the cell didn't totally disrupt <laughs> her career, I was going to say, what about the gritty, admirable blue collar brain infiltrator she plays in Tarsum Sings the Cell? Every manager at our company has a college degree. The only thing stopping you is you. Do you ever look at your life and wonder how you got there? If you made different choices, would you be happier? Arthur got his MBA from Duke. He's the best man for the job. No, sir. I am. I just wish we lived in a world where street smarts equal book smarts. Screw them. The educated people in their fancy houses who name their kids after fruit and climb Kilimanjaro. Somebody call for you. Something about a job interview? Oh my God, Franklin and Clark? Your resume interests me. Wharton Business School. I'm sorry, what? And of course, you have got to see her Facebook page. My Facebook page? So she plays a woman named Maya in this movie. 
who is super successful at this uh, as an assistant manager at this big box store in Queens. Um, it's like the the best big box store you've never heard of with all these crazy like technological feats of like pre Amazon shopper online stuff. Um, she's just very impressive. Uh, does not have a college or high school degree. Um, and so we open the movie where she thinks she's going to get this big promotion and is passed up for it because the other guy has an MBA from Duke. The other guy, of um, course, um, played by that actor, Dan Batinsky. Don't you think that he's kind of a Ed Helms, like diet Ed sure. Helms? Sure. Yeah. Diet Ed Helms is like too few calories for me. That's man. like a diet creamsicle Shasta right there. Uh-huh. <laughs> And uh, Milo Ventimiglia, who's the the assistant coach for the Fordham College baseball team, is like, baby, you're going to get the job. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the only thing standing in front of you that job is you. Oh, my God. I really feel like he learned, he uh, famously, not famously, but he played Rocky's son in Rocky Balboa. He's still playing him, I would argue. Oh, I think he's playing Rocky. He's just like, baby, do you want to? It's a really big <laughs> professional day for you. You want to have sex in the shower? <laughs> oh my god! And they do. Um, it's not seen though. It's PG thirteen. The movie hits this very weird thing where, for a second, I didn't know if it was actually like a wish movie. She wishes that street smarts were book smarts, and the next day, this company. Um, who makes Treat like a, Williams and Daughters? Yes. <laughs> uh, Anderson that makes, Clark. That makes cosmetics. Um, uh, calls her in and is like, "We want you to consult with us." Uh, and you ha- you graduated from Harvard and Wharton. Like, how impressive! It's so cool. So she takes the job and is lying about this stuff. And this is where the movie again gets super weird because it's basically two, it's definitely like a two movie movie um, where on the one hand, she is a Don Draper figure at this company um, doing a really good job because of how much experience she has with what consumers want coming up with a new organic cream. I love how much of this movie is about the development of creams. Um, But then the other big part of the movie that like makes it relevant for our category is that she Breaks up with Milo Ventimiglia because he wants to start a family. You want to start a family with me, baby? Um, <laughs> <laughs> he said that so many times in the movie. I hate it. Um, but she's like, no. Vacant look in the eyes. No, I don't think that I can do that. Uh, 20 years she- ago, I was blah. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Um, so, spoiler for second act. Not only does she have a daughter that she gave up for adoption when she was 17 but the daughter is the like the vp of creams at the company and the adopted daughter of treat williams it's her daughter which is just i i have to say and i said this is sarah when i was watching this i kind of sometimes you forget how like shameless a true hollywood movie can be um and this it's just, just a shameless amount of like stuff in this movie. So if I can admit to you, Chance, well, you already know this, but if I can admit to the listeners something which I think makes this movie super funny, is that I thought the setup to this movie when we picked it for the podcast category was a mother gets put up for this job by her kids. 
Right. And that causes this second act Bernadette style. So when I started yes. watching this movie and she breaks up with Milo because she doesn't want to have kids, I was like, oh, God, this movie doesn't <laughs> fit our category anymore. And so but then Lucy, my girlfriend, who I live with, uh, was like clicking on her laptop or whatever as I was freaking out. It was like, don't worry about it. The movie works. And I was like, what? How could it possibly work? And lo and behold, not only does this woman have a daughter that she gave up for adoption, the daughter is her boss. So you like J-Lo. I do like J-Lo. I'm not super familiar with the properties of the ginkgo plant. <laughs> the I have to the the pseudoscience of making organic creams in this movie like set in montage form to you know contemporary R&B was some really funny shit as like scientists you'd never seen were just like smushing paste together in their hands being like this ain't it baby it's not <laughs> glowing like the, white yet as the beat throbbed behind them do you um, think if an actual cosmetics professional saw this movie they go yeah it's about right I don't. Are you? Are we? Are we ready for that? Like twenty-minute wired video where they're like, "Hey, the radiation from the sun's different than the radiation from nuclear bombs." I don't know. I think I'd love that. We're referring to the fact that uh, you know J Lo has aspired to make a truly organic all-in-one cream, um, and is not allowed to use chemicals of any kind. To which her R and D people are like, "You're an insane person." She's like, "Wait, the leaves of the ginkgo tree." It's such a big proposition to like take on the question of like why don't all corporations just use 100% organic stuff? It's like you fool woman without your Wharton education like it's too expensive and the consumers don't even know what they want. Mm -hmm. They want us to tell them what they want, which is like fine in theory, but it's like pretty goofy like the way in which it goes down and how like clearly like easy slash hard it is i don't know i didn't buy the whole how do these writers come up with like the this movie's gonna be set in the wild world of the cream business (laughs) i don't think that j-lo is super great at delivering lines i don't think she ever really has been but she is a really great physical actor the best parts of the cell which i think are the only the only J-Lo movie we've ever reviewed, which this is my very favorite weird. list of things. The best parts of the movie, the cell keep going <laughs> are her running through dreams, trying to stop Vincent D'Onofrio. The best part of this movie is a very J-Lo moment where she gets to pull the, um, you know, corporate backbiter away from the CEO. Uh, like when he's about to talk about her, uh, actual college classifications and she pulls him into this like ballroom dance. Number. I like that part. And she is so much more like physically impressive than this like suave British man in the dancing that you're like, this is why she's a star because she's so game to um, participate in the more like farcical moments of what is otherwise, yeah, just a light dramedy. Um, Because when she's just talking to Milo Ventimiglia about like, do we want to raise a family? It's just like, these people are, this is fine. This is soap opera acting. Right. I was actually a little surprised how, I guess I thought this movie was going to be like a little bit more cartoony in its sensibility. And 
Sometimes it weirdly is, though. The dove's exploding? Yes, sometimes it weirdly is, but otherwise it, like, goes for this weird sort of very New York realism. Like, it's, I mean, it was clearly shot in New York. It clearly cares a lot about locations and feeling authentic. But, yeah, it has these weird moments that I think don't play perfectly. The dove's exploding is one of them. Even the her, like, tripping over the lane-closed thing that everybody saw in the trailer is just like, why does that have to happen? Like, give this woman a moment of celebration quitting her job and doing something that she clearly is qualified to do. Um, Right. I think she's challenged well, actually, by Charlene Yee, who's like gives a pretty interesting sort of supporting performance as she's the assistant. The assistant, yeah, and it's it doesn't it didn't fall on the tropiest of tropes, but I, and I liked how it was played with this poor cat food guy who's the secret genius right. behind the organic goop. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of weird cameos. Dave Foley's in this. Larry Miller is in this movie. Right. Uh, Leah Remini is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I even feel like the Milo Ventimiglia part is like a cameo because he's like, "Hey, babe, you can get this job," and then she doesn't get it. And he's like, "Well, I, I want to have kids or nothing," and then he's gone until the end. My question is this: the next time, whenever like Goop launch season is, do you often find yourself watching the Business Insider video of the live presentations of it? This is the million dollar question. Yes, the climax of the movie is her you know, d- doing the product debut and like her friends are at the superstore uh, watching the Business Weekly channel, which Business Weekly, it's a TV channel. What's weekly about it? Um, <laughs> you know? Wouldn't it be business constantly? <laughs> yeah, really? Weekly sounds a lot like a newspaper. Um, <laughs> it almost feels like this then- movie was taken from like a 2002 script and everyone's yeah. now like, oh, nobody has any smartphones. Just change all the interactions with media to smartphones. Like, but why? the technology backing up how was, she's able to do this is insanity. I loved, I thought the weirdest tone deafest social media thing on there was her watching that weirdly intimate video of her and Milo Ventimiglia like kissing that she yeah. like weirdly recorded all of and put on Instagram three years ago or something. I think it's his Instagram, but yeah. But it's like a weird video to have posted. It's a shit post. It's not how people use Instagram. You think no. that like that's popping up with A-Rod soon? It's clearly like the scene called for her to be like going through old videotapes. <laughs> right. So I don't know how seriously I'm supposed to take this movie. There are some serious parts where I think it wants you to think a lot about um, the opportunities, of course, that people don't get because they don't have an MBA from Duke. Does that really make them less qualified when they've been paying uh, incredible, empathetic attention to what customers want to buy for 15 years? I think the answer is no. I think there are ways in which this is like a really heartfelt, like working class hero story that are completely submerged in just like a bunch of babble. The last line of this movie is voiceover from J-Lo saying, the only one standing in your way is you. Which is not the point of the movie at all. No. Yeah, I mean, this movie like has a lot of knockoff Nancy Myers people at work kind of stuff going For on. Sure. But I think the most interesting part about this movie is its questions about 
like motherhood and thus its insertion in this category the idea of like what is your responsibility to someone you've given up for adoption and it's just sort of a bigger question too like does a woman have a right to you know make that decision to give that sort of child away and what is her own sort of reproductive you know agency here which i thought was a Subtle, but I think a pretty profound thing that you don't see in a lot of these movies where, like, clearly she tried to have this kid. It Like, it never was a, oh, I shouldn't have this baby. It was, I'm going to try to, ha-, and then she, like, physically couldn't. She couldn't mm-hmm. have this child in the poverty or whatever she was in. Couldn't keep the child. Couldn't keep the child. Yeah. And so it's almost like, you know, society has taken this kid away from her in a sense. And that has so traumatized her to the idea of being a mother that she can't even bring herself to do it with her clearly serious boyfriend, even though like you're going to break up at the pizza place after five years. That's pretty fucked up. We can't keep doing this. Like doing, doing what sharing an apartment together for a half decade. I think it's an interesting read, though, on the predicament that a person in that situation we put in of like, you know, I guess I don't have access to anything other than that just having this child and then doing the best I can at 17. Yeah. And it's that's not a good position for either that woman or the child emotionally is the point of this movie. Um, I think it's the point of the movie. I think it's a, um, a cool thing that is in this movie that I think is rendered pretty weird by the fact that like later on she's just like accosting her like the birth mother's accosting the child on the street without warning, which right. is like not something that birth parents should do. Um but it's something also, that if it didn't have a chipper score, it would be very creepy. Yes. Um, which is true of so much, so many rom-coms through the years. Like uh, you got to suspend your disbelief a little bit, but yeah, man, I just, I found it very hard to take seriously the, um, the things that this movie wanted me to take seriously. Cause it was all enveloped in this, like this crazy lie that she could have just like given up at any time that was backed up by some 18 year old tech whiz's idea to intercept all phone calls to anyone on the resume. Um, yeah, very I just couldn't odd. get there. I could not get there in the first good sense because of those things. Yeah, there's a lot of like things that are implausible here. And I think just that she'd be in the same office just because of her, the allegory of her socioeconomic status being the only thing that keeps her from being in this boardroom, quote unquote. But then literally that allegory is played out showing her lineage, if she's in like a good rich white family would literally get that job on her own mm-hmm. is such a strained kind of eerie way to make the political point that this idea of going to college or something is outweighing what street smarts or whatever is worth. Yeah, totally. By turning it into, by confusing me for that moment where I was like, is this like a, what women want finger snap? And then all of a sudden like her life is different. Um, but no, it was just like a LinkedIn lie. So it was just a LinkedIn lie. And then I think it's a tough transition too when she's a trying to convince Zoe, Vanessa Hudgens, this is Jennifer Lopez's character that even though she has duped her, she's still like a good person deep down and then trying to have a relationship with her, how difficult it is to sort of, 
make that point, I think. Yeah. And then B, during the montage where she's like going off and writing her that letter or whatever and getting her life together. Treat Williams just like meets up with her for lunch. Like this dude doesn't care. I mean, I guess he made her a lot of money or no. Right. I guess she made him a lot of money, but why? That's also the movie losing track of just basic stuff. Did she quit that job? She get fired from that job. What happened? If when he's she so friendly stage? with her, why didn't she just keep her on in the job that she was at that made all that money and had that great apartment? I was saying, I thought that, the smartest read here um, is that moment, that moment from Mad Men where Pete Campbell tries to rat out Don Draper about his being Dick Whitman to Burt Cooper. And Burt Cooper's like, Mr. Campbell, if we went into the backstories of every executive at every advertising company looking for lies, there would be no executives. <laughs> um, I was waiting for that moment in this movie where it's just like, which is kind of like a dark, smart thing it was never going to do. Yeah, but a like smarter... A smarter movie would have like turned it into a PR stunt that they had like gotten this woman in off the street to like totally. run a... And in like 2019, like why not use that? Or 2018, yep. I guess. Like why not show that like reaching into a community like that would yield good candidates for jobs that you would otherwise put the glass ceiling above? Yes, yes. Um but yeah, it, this movie was never up to those things. Um, but let's rate it. Was it fun enough? I thought it was a lot of fun. I'm being really critical of it now, having thought about it. Um, but I think if you're not thinking about it, and you, it's it's on. I mean, this is the kind of film that will, in six months, if not less, uh, be on HBO. So mm-hmm. I think it was entertaining. Like, I really liked the chemistry between some of the characters I really liked her group of, uh, maybe not in the scene at Grand Central Station, but otherwise her group of girlfriends, like having this sort of mom's collective family. I liked the little Jonathan Demi musical breakdown in the kitchen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was pretty fun. Um, you know, it's also like, it's it's Nancy Myers fair. It's like people doing glamorous jobs in glamorous offices with glamorous apartments. Inventing you know, cream. and much like Jennifer Lopez, like we are out of our element in our crappy apartments and like being taken through this world and there's some sort of there's some sort of pleasure in that. And I got to tell you I got a little weepy when she like went over the details of like saying goodbye to the baby on the bench in Battery mm. City Park. And that made me sad. But then, of course, I wasn't that sad because, like, Vanessa Hudgens is not that compelling of a, an actor and, like, quickly no. took me out of that scene. So, no, it's kind of, it's, like, less compelling. If you are less compelling J-Lo, just, like, in a scene of dialogue, like, you are not compelling. Yes. So, for all the aforementioned reasons, I think this movie is, frankly, pretty quintessential bad good. I'm with you. Um it's weird that none of these movies today hold up very well to scrutiny. I honestly think we're still waiting to circle back to what we said at the very beginning. I think we are waiting for a more radical version of this movie message, which is um, I'm truly walking away from motherhood or redefining what motherhood actually means in both like in, in like an earnest, smart way in a movie character all of these movies lean back on kind of pretentious Diablo Cody stuff or formulaic rom-com stuff 
or just crumble to pieces because they can't match their source material. Um, but I would happily, li- I would like to see this category sprung into a deeper, smarter movie. But I think if you have these movies about like these flawed characters, then you can't have the protagonist of the movie be them. Like the only thing I, th- I mean, I, I haven't read the book, but like my sense of reading around it is that the whole point of where'd you go Bernadette is this child coming to deal with her relationship with her mother, comma, a character that she cannot change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But the way that the movie around that idea is framed is like the, here's this kooky character. Is she right? Is she wrong? Let's decide. That's, yes. That's all three of the movies. And the same thing, too. Like, I thought the more interesting movie maybe in second act is like following Vanessa Hudgens and like this woman comes in to like eke her out of her place. And it turns out that she's her, not only her mother, but like a total fraud. Right. Right. Like, that would be an interesting story. You know, and Ricky and the Flash, why not make the daughter who's going through this divorce the protagonist of this movie? You're right. Imagine Ricky showing up on the doorstep and like Meryl Streep is the supporting character in the movie. And you're like, holy shit, who is this person? Yeah. And that's the question. I think that's actually a really good call. Yeah. I think all these movies would be better. I think putting them front and center makes them into these like morality tales, either about what moms are supposed to do or some sort of commentary on like women should have the right to choose, but like in the most conservative way possible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know. Watch 20th century women. If you want to watch a really good movie about moms or the kids are all right. There you go. Only watch only Annette Benning movies if you want to <laughs> watch really Annette good Annette Benning is the go-to mom. It's not Kate Blanchett, it's not Meryl Streep, it's not J Lo. Annette Benning is the only one with wisdom on this subject. All right. Um we should get out of here. But buddy, pal, it's been a pleasure to talk to you as always. I love talking moms with you. Good moms, bad moms, moms in the middle, flawed moms. Folks, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, BeRealPodcast.com if you want to catch up with old episodes. As always, we we're on the playlist. We're so happy to be on the Playlist Podcast Network. Um, yeah. Call your moms. And uh, I called my mom and it, today. And it was a fruitful conversation. It was. Did you call, When was the last time you talked to your mom, Chance? Well, we've actually like had some like not-so-fun texts recently, so I should maybe hop on board this train. You don't want to lose, Mom. Where'd nope. you go, Kathleen? All right, I'm, I'm ending the show to call my mom. See you later. You're a lot like me Get so wound up I can't sleep But there's no 